Welcome to Out of Rich Darkness. I'm Camille Savage-Kroll. And I'm Elena Chia. We're both professors at the University of Music in Freiburg, Germany. In this podcast, we reimagine the ways in which we learn and make music and explore how it can be part of a holistic, healthy way of being in the world. invited out-of-the-box thinkers and pioneers in the music world to speak to us about their lives and creative processes. In addition to appearances on the podcast this season, our guests participated as coaches in a new course that we designed and taught together at the Hochschule für Musik Freiburg. And we know it's been a while, but we got uh, we got swamped by the semester, both of us. And also right after we actually recorded the first episode for this season, I got swallowed up also in in sort of a personal tragedy and um, and was dealing with a lot of grief in addition to the normal chaos and and what can sometimes feel like um a lot of overwhelm that comes with the the semester mm-hmm. at the Hochschule um yeah i i lost someone very close to me in a very traumatic way and am just now starting to figure out kind of what that meant and um because we've been gone for so long i just wanted to to kind of give you a little bit of a a window into that and um, and also let you know that it's it's been a few months now and the grieving process has been difficult. It's felt kind of like a dark hole for me, but I've also started to see grief now as a teacher and have started to feel and understand that grief is, is a f- one side, one aspect of love mm-hmm. and have... Um, I've started to to feel like this is a call for me to let myself feel deeply and not just when I'm experiencing loss, which is is hard for me because I tend to be someone who just kind of grits my teeth together and pushes through things. But I have to allow myself to feel and and not just wait till I'm over overwhelmed by by loss. Mm. So those are the lessons I'm learning. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for sharing that with me and with everyone. And also, um, it's I think it's um, it's so hard to practice what we preach. And um, I think part of both of our motivation in being teachers is to constantly strive for something higher, not necessarily only in the arts, also in the arts, but also as human beings. Right. And and that does mean taking the time to feel these deep things. Yeah. And it's such a difficult balance to strike, especially in the middle of a teaching semester when it's so easy to feel that you have to be there for everybody. Right. And you have to be there for the students and you have to be strong. I know I really have that. I have this feeling. I have to be strong for the students. And mm-hmm. yet 
sometimes I think the best thing you can be is just human and vulnerable and, yeah. And, and feeling. Yeah, it's true. And we are in, in these supporting roles so much. And it's, it's easy to forget that part of our role is also to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And that means part of our job description is taking care of ourselves if we want our students to do that as well. Um, It's very hard to remember this, but, um, you know, actually, I've been thinking about this a lot since yesterday, because Simone Biles just took herself out of the Olympics. And she was all lined up to take home all of the gold medals again. And she decided it was too much pressure and, and took herself out. And I know some people were really upset about that, but I was just so struck by the amount of courage and bravery and strength really that it took to make that decision Mm -hmm. and how for me in my eyes she became um, so much more of a role model because (laughs) of of that decision even than she was just because of her her performance and she is she's an amazing athlete but yeah that was also one of those moments um, when I realized anytime you are in a, a any sort of leadership role part of your responsibility is to live your life in a way that that you would want those people who who look up to you to um to live their lives and part of that is is knowing when to when to step back and and take care of yourself so it's a lesson i'm learning the hard way over oh, and hard. over again but yeah. <laughs> yeah me too me too but that makes me think about um I mean, this is a perfect example for what we want to talk about today, which is reboot and um, what was the other word? <laughs> yeah. So the whole the whole <laughs> concept of our episode today, since we're we're basically a year a year out um, from our from our first podcast, is return or reboot? Question mark. Thank you. Yes, short term <laughs> memory. Um, yeah, return or reboot. It. I mean. There's been so much pressure on, I think, all kinds of performers since lockdown ended. And I can't even imagine how much pressure there is on Olympic athletes right now after mm-hmm. a year and a half of no competitions and, um, and no exposure and just right. training alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then to have to go out there and be watched by an audience of billions. Right. How terrifying. I mean, it's been difficult for me to just go back to the usual getting on the train and going to teach and going to different places and, and being with people and socializing and then playing concerts again. and and Right. Yeah. And then having to perform at that level also with no live audience there to support you. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a completely different thing. So, right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it reminds me of the concerts that musicians were giving during lockdown, mm-hmm. um, sometimes in concert halls with no one there. And mm-hmm. that's an aspect of performance that when it's missing, um, it, it feels like a limb is gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great to talk to some of our guests this season about, what the audience means. Yes. Thinking about what Kathy Milliken said about 
um, how an audience is always just a group of individuals and right and right yeah but yeah out of myself because we have really great guests to introduce <laughs> yeah yeah so um so our I, our concept today this this question of um what are we doing now we're um more than a year out from the beginning of of the pandemic COVID-19 and people are starting to quote, go back to normal in some places. Of course, we now realize that this is something that's going to be with us for a long time in some form or other, but things are starting to happen again. And we've been noticing that there are some returns <laughs> that are mischances. I, for instance, saw the first concert of the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra after the lockdown and was very disappointed <laughs> that they played only Tchaikovsky and Rachmaninoff and really missed a chance to uh, set the tone for this new era of, of, um, of music and live music again. And I, I just feel like they took the easy route. I mean, you could almost even say it's lazy. It feels like we uh, in the classical music world, we have the responsibility to open up this really elite area and, uh, and make it more inclusive and make it more interesting. And I mean, these institutions are funded by tax money. So <laughs> it's, um, you know, there is, a, there is a responsibility there to expand the cultural horizons of, of audiences and, and to reflect on the world we live in. And that was one, just one example of, of um, what I really felt like was, was a mischance. Hmm. Just, I'm just thinking, just to play devil's advocate here, <laughs> <laughs> I realize in, you know, in some of the groups that I work with, it, it is difficult change is difficult. It is. Change is really painful. And yep. I mean, I'm, I'm in the midst of a move right now. And I can tell yep. you, it's painful. Even though I, I want this change, I think it will be a positive change. And um, I uh, am, I was looking forward to it when it was just a, a, a vague concept and not getting into the nitty gritty details. And now that I'm in the thick of it, it is just painful. I would definitely not do this if I had thought it all through before. And um, right. and I and most of us only change when we're absolutely forced to. Right. And right. When you are in an organization as big and as prestigious as the Berlin Philharmonic, um, it's a very large. It's like driving a huge barge. I think. Mm-hmm. It, you. It's a long barge. You have to make turns very, very slowly, very gradually. And then uh, you can start to change course, but it's not going to happen just like that. And right. so, and then also, I mean, uh, I completely agree with you about having to, having a responsibility mm-hmm. um, and, and making, making music more, Inclusive is becoming an overused word, but <laughs> but yes, inclusive and and also interesting, definitely more interesting. And these are things that can be subjective, and 
Um, and I also think these are things that are becoming politicized in a in an unfortunate way. When um, so, there's a, for me, there's a fine line between um, being a bit provocative and and opening trying to open people's minds for something new and then mandating that this is the way things will be from now on because it's politically correct. So right. how do you do that? I don't know. Especially yeah. if you're an organization like the Berlin Philharmonic, you have a certain audience, you know, yeah. they're not, they're not, um, ensemble modern. They're not, um, Stegreif Orchester. <laughs> um, right. Right. And so it's, I don't know what the answer is to incorporate change into the mainstream. Right. Right. I mean, one thing that is, is clear and you said it yourself is that maintaining the status quo is easy and it's easier than questioning um, what, what is and asking how could it be? Um, and, you know, there have to be at least baby steps taken. I have uh, sent sent letters to certain orchestras um, before because I've, I've been very frustrated with their programming. And, um, and it is just disappointing to see after such a long break where we've all had a chance really to pause and reflect and reevaluate to see such a a, um, a a large organization. You're right about that, but an organization with a uh, with a leadership function that is one of of the best orchestras, um, depending on how you look at it, in the whole world. And and with that comes a responsibility. And just you know, to be very clear, what um, what I mean when I say inclusive is is I mean, including music from not just deceased white men, but mm. also women, also composers who are alive, also composers from, um, from other cultural backgrounds. And, you know, the question for me also is, we've, we've seen now through the pandemic, and we talked about this on the podcast, that change is possible overnight. But maybe institutions like this and, and institutions like the one that we work at are not going to be able to change overnight, but mm -hmm. they have to start taking baby steps. They have to start growing. They have to be willing to move in, in the right direction because something that is not growing. And we talked about this before too. If you're not growing, you're dying. Mm. And it, yeah. it really is for me. Um, it, I, <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 sad uh, because there is so much opportunity today. Yeah, well, what I'm sensing now um, in a lot of corners of the music world is fear that the audience might not come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I can imagine that just keeping programs sort of more conventional, conservative, is is a tactic to win back the old audience. Right. Um, and, um, and of course, the fear is not um, unfounded. Because the, the average classical music audience, especially I would say, at the Berlin Philharmonic, 
is of a certain age. And even if they are all mm-hmm. vaccinated now, they might not want to come back into a even a half full concert hall. Who knows? Right. Right. And um, so these are difficult questions to deal with. And also, I think, you know, wherever... Um, when fear is involved in decision-making, it's never going to be a free creative process. Right. And um, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. But, yeah. 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 Freedom within the limitations of, and, and also within the, um, the difficulties that this past year and a half has brought with it. Right. Right. I was reading um, recently something that has nothing to do with music, but I stumbled across the Stiftung Multilateralism Lab report that they put out. And there was a, a quote in this uh, report, which again, has nothing to do with music, but that really struck me as applicable to this time, this moment that we're in. And um, someone said, we must assess what is working and what is not working and we should not hold on to ideas simply because we know them. And that was that really struck me because I thought just because something is known and is comfortable and is the way it's been mm-hmm. is not a reason to continue doing things that way. No. And and that's something you and I have thought about and talked about a lot this past year. Right, and- because you know yeah, I'm just thinking that the reason why change is maybe even more difficult in um, big orchestras, orchestras of tradition, is because they are so insular. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, the members don't change. And right. this is, in a way, a really good thing for the sound and the the ensemble, the the tightness of the ensemble, the the uh, musical relationships that people have with each other. Um, but in the sense of innovation and creation, it is devastating. <laughs> I mm. mean, it, I think yeah. in scientific circles, you don't stay any in any one place for more than five years if you're researching. Isn't that right? Often, often. Yeah. And, and, and right. Yeah. So that new ideas come in. Right. And, uh, and so this is not happening in those groups. And, and so the people who are in those orchestras, if they got their jobs 20, 30 years ago, then they had a very different education mm-hmm. from people who are entering orchestras today. Absolutely. And, and it's, it, even, it, it's very difficult for the younger generation to change the mentality yeah. that has worked <laughs> for right. decades. Right. Um, but this is exactly what we want to do with our new seminar that we yes. started. <laughs> so this is one of the things that we decided we need to take concrete action to reboot and not just continue on the way things mm-hmm. are. Um, I just want to pick up the one one thing just kind of went ping um, when you said, you know, you made the comparison between orchestras and scientific communities. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the main differences one of the reasons that the scientific community is constantly moving forward is that there is this incredible amount of information exchange going on all the time. Mm-hmm. There are conferences, there are 
um, people coming up the ranks and doing new research, and it is constantly being talked about and evaluated and ideas are being exchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and and if somehow there would be a way for orchestra musicians to have that kind of exchange um, in both directions, have it be multilateral, have it be, um, you know, with other orchestras to have it be also more intensive um, exchange of ideas with people who are coming up the ranks, mm-hmm. um, maybe even with people who've retired and now have a chance to to look at things through different eyes, um, and and with audience members perhaps, and and just to sort of have a little bit more of that scientific mindset. Um, yeah, that might yeah. be really interesting. That's such a good point. Um, and I mean, at the moment, in most orchestras, maybe in a couple of chamber orchestras is different. But in most symphony orchestras, um, individual thought is not demanded right. of, or and it's it's usually not desirable no. <laughs> from the point of view of the music director or the management. And, and so really what they're supposed to do is play their instruments at a very high level. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. And, you know, that's, um, mm-hmm. it's vastly unchallenging for, for people of such talent and intelligence. Yeah. And so I, I think our, one of our missions in this course that we started this this past semester was to to help foster the kind of mentality that will contribute to really much more dynamic uh, ensembles and yeah. musical scenes uh, even groups. yeah yeah well and you said what did you say the the musicians are talented and they are intelligent and they are also very hard working and mm-hmm. if you can add one more quality to that this this quality that we also focused on the creative side of being a musician if you could really incorporate that there's so much potential there i'm i'm very Huge. very sure of that um yeah. so that is kind of that was our jumping off point when we decided to to make something happen uh, we designed a course together called kunst heute which translates literally to art today and um why art and not music I think that um, that we as musicians can really benefit from taking a little bit of a step back from seeing ourselves as sound makers, but really feeling and and understanding ourselves as as creatives. And I think if we if we had a little bit more of that artist mindset, uh, it would do a lot of good for a lot of a lot of musicians today. So that's kind of how we got started. And maybe we can we can talk a little bit about the design of this course, what was important to us. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I just want to say that this has been the most fun course <laughs> that I've ever taught. <laughs> and and as with anything that I've ever taught, it was something that, and it is something that I want to learn to do myself. Mm-hmm. So really, I feel like I am the, I am the, the target student for this class. <laughs> and <laughs> luckily it turns out that there were other target students as well who also enjoyed it. But the, the main idea... <laughs> well, and we see ourselves, we talked about this also in another episode, but as co-learners. So right. if you go into a, a process with students with that kind of mindset, you really, as even as a, a teacher, you come out of it 
feeling very enriched, which I can also say was definitely the case. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was so inspiring to have, we had really great guests and I'm yes. excited for our podcast audience that they're going to hear <laughs> interviews with these great guests. And we got to participate not only in the interviews, but also we had them come and give coaching sessions to our students. And the idea of the seminar was for students to come up with projects, uh, no limitations just whatever their imaginations could come up with. They could be multimedia, they could be interdisciplinary, whatever they wanted. And then they, some of them submitted their projects and we matched them up with coaching partners. And then the whole class got to watch while we had a kind of masterclass and our guests would coach them on their projects. And and that was a really, really rewarding experience, even if the coaching sessions themselves were were relatively short. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they were really condensed and that uh, a lot of the topics that came up could be in the, the, the little pieces of wisdom that came out could be applied to so many different kinds of creating and right. structuring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Our guests were amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But I have to say our students were also really incredible. I mm-hmm. I loved the mix of students that we ended up having in this course. We opened it for anyone who was interested at the Hochschule. So we had people from um, from all different departments who participated. We had about 30 students who took part and... Um, we had some really interesting discussions at the beginning. It was the course was part discussion, part lab, part coachings and interviews. And um, the discussions mainly that we had at the beginning, but they kind of carried through the whole course were um, questions along the lines of what does it mean to be an artist and a musician in the middle of a global pandemic and a climate crisis? What does our art mean? And then also the question that we tried to uh, follow this semester is what do young people need to be able to develop and realize their own artistic ideas? And um, maybe we can also even give a little bit of a glimpse into the kinds of of projects that they came up with. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the sessions that I loved the most was at the beginning when we asked people to brainstorm bad ideas. I feel like so many good, uh, good impulses came from that because we were able to, you talked about fear earlier. We were able to just shed all of these preconceived notions of what a good project should be and what we're allowed to do and and what's excellent and and how to be perfect and just get all of the bad ideas out and realize some of them maybe even aren't that bad. Yeah. Uh, so it was yeah. it was creating a safe space. And actually I remember from from the discussion afterwards that we came to the conclusion that there were no bad ideas. Yes. <laughs> And, and the thing to do is, Mm -hmm. is to actually to get it out of the stage of just being an idea and bring it into the world. And I think that's where our coaches were so amazing and so helpful because these were four people who bring beautiful ideas into the world. Yeah. And, uh, and they start from 
from the the embryo and then and then build and um and that was just uh well for me it was it was exactly what i was hoping that this course would be yeah yeah i think we have to say a little bit about our guests at this point introduce them just briefly yes. um and yeah. say who they were it's very exciting drum roll please because they <laughs> um they were fantastic in our course of course in this podcast you're only going to hear the interviews that we did with them uh, but they also gave such good advice to our students and that was honestly equally as interesting as mm-hmm. uh, as the podcast interviews that we did um mm-hmm. do you want to introduce johnny so yeah we um we interviewed my old friend Johnny Gandelsman, who is a violinist with the Brooklyn Rider, the string quartet based in Brooklyn, as one would assume. Um, and they've done loads <laughs> of innovative projects and really, really interesting collaborations with all sorts of um, amazing artists from Joshua Redman to Bella Fleck and Martin Hayes. And it, the list is long. So Johnny and I have known each other for a long time and, but had just recently reconnected because of this podcast and it was great to have him. Yeah. It was also really fun for me to reconnect with a couple of people that I have known going way back. And uh, another one of our guests was Steph Richards, who I went to Eastman with back in the day, a jazz trumpeter and a composer who has collaborated with a very long list of really interesting people like Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson, Kanye West even, and uh, who just put out a super fascinating album that is based on scents and mm-hmm. is is very sensual. I have I have the album Super Sense. Um, she was actually our first podcast guest, and we're really excited to get that episode out. And then we had Kathy Milliken, who is also kind of a hero of mine. She is not only an amazing composer and oboist, she also, she creates these incredible projects with amateur and young musicians and musicians from other genres where she she helps facilitate their composition and improvisation and I think that's just phenomenal. It's um, it's a really, I think, unique ability to be able to both be the creator, the composer, and also to completely be able to step back and and facilitate other people in their creativity. And it's it's like a, I don't know, for me, it's like a combination of teacher and alchemist. What she does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. We we really had some interesting people. We also talked to Aaron Snell, um, another another person who I've known for many years, who I can only describe or best describe as a force. Aaron is one of those people who gets ideas and they might sound crazy to other people, but she makes them happen and uh, is an incredibly creative and reflected person. She is a uh, an, an international opera and classical singer, but she recently has been doing a lot of TV and video directing and producing uh, for broadcasters such as BBC and ATA. 
And she has worked in immersive audio and done a lot of multidisciplinary work as well as being a startup consultant. So she really had this multidisciplinary perspective that she was able to share with our students and, and which you also hear in our interview is just really fascinating because a lot of times musicians, especially when they're studying are kind of going through the world with blinders on either side, uh, really spending a lot of time in the practice room and and honing their craft, which is, of course, important, but you can't lose the big picture and you can't lose your other interests. And she really makes a strong argument for being a multifaceted person in the world as a musician. And, mm-hmm. and so she was, I think, also for our students, one of the, one of the highlights of the mm-hmm. semester. Definitely. Yeah. Embracing your creativity, no matter <clears throat> what channel it takes in you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we, we can be so, we can be so um, limited in the ways we choose to express creativity. And, and I think one of the things that we heard a lot from students this semester was that it was just good to have this space where creation and making things was the focus rather yeah. than getting something right or getting it really good. Right. And, and we had some interesting conversation with Kathy on that topic, on the, the kind of tipping point between cre- creating, being in the creating role where you really just have to let anything happen, and then being the critical and critically listening mm-hmm. artist who mm-hmm. steps back and says, no, a little bit more of this, and no, let's do this longer and do that shorter mm-hmm. and things like that. Which is so important for those those projects that are that are out of the box. And mm-hmm. you are yeah. in a completely different role when you are facilitating projects like that than when you're playing in an ensemble. And both are important. Mm-hmm. Really valuable advice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, for me, at least in, in these settings where I have been both a creator and a performer, it really takes the pressure off the performing. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. There's so much more pressure for That's me true. in performance when it is just all about reproducing right. what has already been done much better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to be honest, in the past. Right. right. <laughs> there's a depth that that comes from projects like that, mm-hmm. um, that yeah, it it can it can take some of the pressure off. I totally understand that. I I often feel when I'm when I'm involved in creative work like that and and projects like you have to have just a million marionette strings going at the same time, and <laughs> just sort of keeping all of that in view becomes becomes the big challenge if you're if you're the the person behind making something like that happen. Um, but that was also something that Kathy talked about, which I thought was really cool about how she she goes about designing her projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, lots of good things coming up this season. Yes, I'm so excited oh, yes. for you all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe to sort of close things out, we could just give a little bit of an insight into 
the projects that, uh, without going into too much detail, but um, an overview of some of the projects that came out of this course, because that is also so exciting to me. Yeah, This is something that is going to be Absolutely. continued. We are going to continue teaching a course together. And, um, and some of these projects were already, um, they, they already were, were performed, um, brought to a conclusion. Some of them are still underway. Some of them mm-hmm. are, are still being, uh, being worked on, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, really exciting. We had, for instance, uh, a group of students who came together and designed a series of concerts for nature. Mm-hmm. And there are ongoing talks with a museum, a nature museum here in Freiburg about a cooperation. So that's mm-hmm. really fascinating. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we had a group that was doing free improvisation with a moving sculpture. Yes. And I think that already took place. Right. As right. part of an outdoor um, event in Freiburg. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another student created a musical card game which uh, then they connected with a, another student and in, it's probably going to be some sort of combination of an actual physical card game, but now also they're designing a digital aspect of this. So it could potentially be played online. Uh, very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a student who actually took a project that is going to be his master's um, final recital. And it's a multimedia project. He's working together with a filmmaker who will make a film around one of the pieces he's playing. And it all centers around one composer and he's found links to the other composers and on the program. Yeah. And then we also had a student who is creating a music and food Instagram <laughs> which is is something very modern but uh but that was really cool for her to get uh feedback from from Aaron Snell on mm-hmm. um what else one student came up with the idea of doing their own podcast which involves themes related to mental health for musicians um she has a really great concept which we're not going to give away (laughs) (laughs) i hope she does this and follows through with it and then we can tell you all about it and and link it yes Um, but that was just to give you an idea of the their the projects are so varied and um and that was something that was so wonderful for us to see it's kind of like you know when you when you talk to parents of children and they're like, my children are so different. <laughs> they're all following <laughs> such different interests. And you think what good parents they are and <laughs> their kids are, are, are doing such different things. And I, that was kind of the same kind of excitement that I think we felt when we realized um, our yeah, students are really definitely. doing their own thing. We're not stamping them with our ideas of how things right. should be, uh, but right. they really created their own um, they came up with their own ideas and, and we were in the supporting roles, which was so, yeah. so fun. It is really fun. It's so much more fun for me than, um, than trying to be that teacher who <laughs> tells it like it is, you know, right, 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 right. <laughs> the way it's supposed to be. And, and I actually, um, you know, when I started my job, I, I, I felt almost this, this electric, um, kind of, demand of from the students like feed me feed me mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what i mean yep. like uh, wanting to have this yep. 
this familiar dynamic of little student and wise older professor, and that made me feel so uncomfortable. But at the same time, um, I found myself sometimes slipping into that role because it was so expected of me. Yeah. And that is the most uncomfortable position for me to be in ever. And, and, mm -hmm. and it's the position where I start to feel completely dead. Like I remember hearing Brene Brown uh, in a recent podcast talking about how when she gets into teacher mentality, then all curiosity just goes dead. And then yes, activity dies. Um, right. Right. And and this was so great because it was exactly the opposite. It was, I felt like I was going along for the ride mm -hmm. and I was learning so much. I don't know if yeah. I taught anything. I wouldn't say that I taught this course. Um, yeah. It was like, we were all shaping it together. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we had much more the, the facilitator role mm -hmm. than a, a teacher or a lecturer role. And uh, it was just very, very enriching for both of us. And which is why we're going to do it again. Yes. And who knows, maybe we are actually moving towards that goal that we set for ourselves when we were imagining 2022, mm. <laughs> back in March 2020. Right. Which is coming up so fast now. My it's, goodness. <laughs> it's so fast. It is around the corner. And really, life has gone from zero to 180 in a matter, yeah, a matter of weeks. But uh, but yeah, we had this this vision of, of us facilitating projects like this and being connected to a much wider body of students and of audience members. And I think we're, we're on a good course. And it's too early to, to give any details, but we also have other ideas cooking <laughs> of how these, uh, these ideas that we have in this course can be expanded and shared even more. So sending that out into the universe, we'll see what happens. Um, but it is, it is exciting. And we want to also hear from our listeners. We would love to hear from you what you are doing to reboot. If you have concrete ideas about things you want to change now that uh, we have um, gone through this pandemic what are you what are you doing differently? How are you thinking differently about music making, about your life, about your your role in the world as an artist? We will put a prompt on our social media, Facebook and Instagram. We'll start you can answer. Again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you can also leave us an audio message on um, our anchor. Anchor. <laughs> anchor site thank you yeah we would love to hear from you so let us know what you're up to and enjoy this season thank you for listening to out of rich darkness if you've enjoyed this episode please take the time to leave us a review so that more people can find us you can help us grow our community of positive change by engaging with us what's on your mind who should we talk to next We'd love to hear from you on social media.